Hey, what's up, friends, and welcome to the Mike Mantel podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I say thank you, and I really mean thank you. I really appreciate whoever you are that you're listening. I appreciate the support. I appreciate the curiosity. I appreciate you being here to share this journey with me. Yeah, sincerest gratitude there. Today's episode is with a guy named Justin Patrick Pierce. (laughs) This guy, I'm just chuckling because he's a great dude. And also he's a fucking savage. He's a total savage. He's just so committed and devoted and impossibly deep. Yeah. So... Justin is married to a woman named London, and they wrote a book together called The Awakened Woman's Guide to Everlasting Love. And Justin also runs workshops where he helps men find deeper levels of what he calls alpha energy, which we discuss in this podcast, and is akin to what other traditions might call masculine energy. He and London also run co-ed workshops to help people find deeper levels of intimacy and come in touch with their alpha and omega, which we discuss in this podcast, which is akin to what other traditions would call masculine and feminine energies. I met Justin by doing one of his workshops. It's called, it was called Alpha Awakening, and it was really deep and profound, and it woke up parts of my self, parts of my human, parts of my manhood that I'd never touched before. God, I just really respect and look up to Justin. And it was so funny. Um, after, after the workshop, I just like went up to shake his hand and say thank you. And when I was looking in his eyes, I remember I just felt like a teenage girl. I was just like nervous and kind of giggling and squirming and just sort of blabbering in his presence. And honestly, I think it's because he holds such a deep presence that I was polarized into just this effusive state of being. Yeah, so I have a lot of respect for Justin. He's insanely wise, and as you'll hear at the beginning of this podcast, I was nervous to talk to him because, I don't know, I, I, there's for some reason or another, I really look up to him. Uh, I look up to his spiritual devotion. That's something I really value in him as a person. So in this episode, we talk about the framework of Alpha and Omega that he teaches, what polarity means, and ultimately we dive into the essence of what sacred sexuality and sacred intimacy means as a spiritual path. We talk about pitfalls in this path. We talk about a lot of struggles that I've had with the term masculinity and the men's work movement. And he helped me find a lot of clarity and more permission to get around some hangups I had around what I was viewing masculinity to mean. And we talked about his story too, and super interesting. We'll get into it more in the podcast, but he just began exploring spiritual investigation at a very young age, and his his personal tale is really fascinating, I thought. So yeah, it was a great conversation. I learned a lot. I came away from this conversation feeling a lot of uh, freedom for my own personal expression of gender and the energetic pulls of yin and yang, or alpha and omega, as Justin refers to them. If you enjoy this podcast, or if you just want to support me as a person, which I would, uh, of course, love, please head over to iTunes and give this podcast a five-star rating, but only if it feels true for you to do so. And if you write it a review, I would be even more appreciative. I am trying to make iTunes new and noteworthy, and that just requires getting a lot of ratings and reviews in the first couple weeks. And so any assistance would be supremely appreciated. And even if not, even you listening, I I quite appreciate. And yeah, I also want to say that I'm really, I'm open to feedback. Uh, I want to get better as a podcaster, as a conversationalist, as an interviewer, and I'm doing my best to improve my speech patterns, to just ask more interesting questions to hold the conversational space better so if you have constructive feedback or things that you think i could do to just be a better conversationalist and you are willing to deliver it with compassion uh, i would i'm just 100 percent open to that and would very much appreciate that also all right lovely people i hope you enjoy this episode hope you have a wonderful day i hope you have 
if you have a partner, I hope that you and your partner have a, like an interesting and a unique sexual experience. That's just a random wish I have for you. If you don't have a partner, I hope something weird happens to you today that you appreciate in retrospect. <laughs> uh, that is my wish for you, my lovely friend and listener. And all right, I'll see you in there. I feel uh, I feel nervous speaking with you. That's okay. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Um, I just felt like I had to get that out there. It's okay. That was a really, that was a really sweet thing to respond. <laughs> cool. Well, I feel like it would be good to start off by defining a couple of terms that I'm sure will come up that you've probably defined many times. Um, the three that are coming to mind for me are alpha, omega, and polarity. You know, my partner and I spent a year writing a book defining alpha and omega and polarity as the way that we understood it. And after our study of it for um, nearly a decade. And what we learned through that process, so these are very challenging things to define. It takes many words to really get to the core of what we're trying to point to. And sometimes simple definitions really fail to correctly represent what it is we're trying to communicate when we use the words alpha and omega. I recently did a video to help articulate and define that difference that London and I use because at first glance, someone could look at those terms and say, oh, that's just a marketing stunt to replace the words masculine and feminine, or that's just some way to bring this uh, equality conversation to the world of sacred sexuality. You know, there could be different ways that people interpret this, but this is not our intention at all when it came to this discovery of Alpha and Omega for London and I. Hmm. In essence, whatever tradition in sacred sexuality that you follow, it all starts with the one. There's a oneness to all of this, whether you want to call that the light of consciousness, whether you want to call that the Tao. Um, but essentially, through every ancient lineage that taught sacred sexuality, we're all pointing towards this one supreme being, if you will, that is essentially indivisible, that is beyond polarity itself. That's what we're trying to realize. That's what we're trying to get back to. But in this world, the world that we live in here, polarity exists because the one splits into the two. And for the one to experience itself, essentially, we need an innie and an outie. <laughs> but the one divides itself into masculine, feminine, or man, woman. You have these two bodies now that have been divided. And in certain traditions, they would call that Shiva Shakti or yin and yang. What alpha and omega represent is not a replacement of this concept of man and woman, but alpha and omega represent now these notes or scales of embodiment that as a man or woman, you can play. And those notes that you play inform your relationship to life itself, your relationship to light and consciousness. So when we use alpha to omega, we're talking about you have the ability as a man or a woman to play the alpha notes or the omega notes and every note in between. So imagine you're sitting in front of a piano and your partner sitting in front of a piano and you can play the same notes or you can play 
harmonizing complementary notes or you can play dissonant notes and the music you make sounds like crap. This is more the reality of the landscape of intimacy because whether you're a man or a woman, you can be in alpha mode. And if you're in alpha mode, that means you're in charge, you're telling people what to do, you're focused on getting things done, you are purpose-driven, you've got shit to do, you might be commanding others, do this, I need you to do this, I need you to do this. But when both partners are in that state, it can make for a great dynamic when you want to be business partners or successfully be able to earn money together, or pay bills together, or raise family together. But when it comes to sustaining intimate attraction with one another, that dynamic isn't going to bring you those passionate sparks most people want in an intimate relationship. So this is why when we start understanding sacred intimacy or just intimacy itself from this concept of, wow, we're all here sitting in front of our pianos and we're all playing these certain notes. Most of us are completely unaware of which notes we're playing, first off. Secondly, once we become aware of the notes we play, we can start to understand, wow, that's why that relationship isn't working, or that's why we're always butting heads here, or that's why I'm really attracted to this person, because our notes are opposites, harmonizing, or they're dissonant, or they're resonant, the same. So this is a very complex thing that I'm doing my best to describe right now, but as I said, in the book, our book, The Awakened Woman's Guide to Everlasting Love, we go into exquisite detail to help define this through simple stories and real life examples and basic teachings that take this less from kind of the formulaic and more into the real world practical of how this can be applied. Cool. Thank you. And yeah, I realize I, I realize I asked you in some ways an impossible question. That's an experiential question that like you lead workshops and I've written books on and, and I asked you to explain it in like four minutes but thank you yeah well you know it can be said simply and alpha is essentially a symbol of the embodiment of consciousness and omega is essentially the embodiment of light or love's light radiance though that is the most simple definition but in order to understand what that really means it really does take a experience of engaging in the practice well i'm curious what does intimacy mean at least to you or in your vernacular does that necessitate having polarity between those two energies or can there be intimacy with um, resonance or dissonance as well from my perspective everything is intimacy nothing <laughs> is not intimacy nothing is not intimate when we engage in the spiritual exploration of consciousness and light or form and formlessness, we start to see that our consciousness is always relating to form. And it's our relationship, it's our own consciousness's relationship to form that is profoundly intimate. So this moment right now is very intimate. Just the air that you breathe is penetrating your body, the most vulnerable, supple parts of your body. So on a physiological level, this is intimate. And not only is that experience intimate, but you are completely dependent upon air, your relationship to air. Without that relationship, you don't exist. Our relationship to water our relationship to food, we consume it. It fills us profoundly intimate. Yeah. So this world, this entire dimension that we are in is remarkably intimate. And could, is that because of polarity? Yeah, you could say that's because of polarity. But there, there's never any separation essentially between consciousness and light here. Got it. So yeah, I'm wondering now, Gosh, okay. Yeah, intimacy is it's an interesting thing because I'm I'm thinking about eye contact right now or like eye gazing or something like that. And I've discovered that 
in making eye contact with someone, if you're both opted in and there's some kind of match between, I don't know, my being and their being, I get the feeling of like dropping a layer beneath reality, uh, the normal reality, I feel. That's when I think of intimacy, like, and I, I, I can experience that through breathing also, like, um, but just this sense of like dropping in deeper. But one thing I'm wondering is, in that space of depth with people, it doesn't... I guess what I'm wondering is if polarity in a space of depth always creates sexual sparks. If that, if um, there's just like a correlation, if I'm in, even like between you and me, maybe we're not attracted to each other, but if like we're in a deep space and I'm producing alpha and you're producing omega energy... Does that inherently create sexual energy or is that not necessarily the energy that would arise in an intimate space between two polarized people? The principles of polarity that we're talking about are based in this idea of almost, I guess you could call it esoteric physics. It's like a battery. The greater the difference between the negative and the positive charge, the more sparks are going to fly. So, any time that you have two individuals or more polarizing each other, and the more extreme that polarization is, the more energy is going to begin to fill the space, the more mm. electricity, the more sexual friction it could sometimes be called. But I'm curious to mm-hmm. know if there was a deeper more specific or personal piece to that question you were asking yeah i guess i just find myself really mystified by sexual energy like i don't fully know what it is like sometimes it appears sometimes it doesn't appear and i guess i'm i notice that with some people even if i don't try to do anything it's just there it's like my body feels it and With some people, even if I'm being very intentional about occupying either an alpha state or an omega state, the sexual energy doesn't doesn't come, even if it feels like maybe there's polarity. And I guess I'm curious, like, I mean, I don't know if there is an answer. Why does sexual energy exist between some people and not other people? But I'm I'm just, uh, I guess, trying to explore my just um, mystification as to why it crops up sometimes, but not other times. Yeah, those are good questions. Um, You know, part of this practice, as you dive into sexual yoga, as you dive into any yoga or any spiritual practice, essentially you're seeking to become more aware of what's going on. Awareness is one wing of the bird. And that's what we're looking to strengthen and develop. So, there's different layers of awareness. As your awareness continues to deepen, you're going to become more and more aware of why polarity is occurring in certain situations and why it's mm. not. It's not accidental, not at all. Mm. But one woman, her pheromones are similar to your mother's, but you're not sensitive enough or subtle enough to notice that. Or her body language mimics someone from your past, the way that her skeletal structure rests in space, the way that her body moves. Um, All of these things have an impact on your psychology and your physiology, and they're turning you on or off sexually moment to moment. You're being polarized by them or not. The color of her hair, the shape of her lip, there's going to be a lot of light elements so mean what you see in her and you know my background is a corrective exercise specialist i've been a trainer work with bodies for most of my life so Mm -hmm. physical fitness in that whole arena has been a huge piece for me and in that exploration you learn to look at people's bodies in a very certain way i've also had a fascination for body language which i studied adjacent to my uh, corrective exercise uh, education So when you look at someone's body, you can tell by their gait, 
by the way that they walk, by the way that they sit, by the way that they hold their body, by the way that they breathe, by the way that their eyes move, by the way that they speak, all of those different variables are communicating something very loudly. Your body is speaking 10 times louder than your words and your thoughts. That's what the yoga begins to reveal. So you can have ideas in your head or clever words, but until your body is actually saying those things, your body's going to resonate what your body resonates. Your body's louder than your words and your thoughts. It really is, particularly in intimacy. So what you start to develop first is an awareness of, wow, how's my body showing up? How are other people perceiving my body? Am I as conscious as I think? Am I actually polarizing this woman with a, you know, a good practice? No, but we're doing our best. You know, we're learning, <laughs> we're learning. But there's a reason why polarity pops up for every single one of us moment to moment to moment. And something we discuss in our book is that polarity is not special. It is not special. It can be created superficially at any time if you have a decent enough practice to create it with somebody and that other person is open to being in polarity with you as well. So it's, it's like a tango dance. You need a lead and a follow. You can't just grab anyone and start dancing with them. You know, they need to be like, okay, I'm cool. I'll go for this ride with you, which is that dance of polarity. So as our awareness deepens and our skill deepens as well, we start undoing old habits that are actually repelling the relationships that we want instead of drawing them in. So we become aware of that. And then we start allowing something else to come through our body, through the yoga. Cool. Part of what I get through that is like, I like, I really like this concept of awareness. Like, I, it's like I have these eyes, more than eyes, but I'll just say eyes that are seeing the world. But my, there's just like this journey of getting more and more detailed vision. And I guess not just even getting more detail, but even knowing what to look for and then seeing that and then seeing it more particularly and specifically. And <laughs> it's cool. Yeah, th that was really neat to hear your relationship with um, the body in that way. And one thing I'm wondering too about you personally, was there a moment where you recognized that you were going to embody a teacher archetype? You know, my uh, both my parents are kindergarten teachers. So they were kindergarten teachers for their entire careers. They actually had their classrooms next door to one another. I'm from a family of five, and my other siblings, almost all of them are teachers as well, and my cousins are teachers as well. Really? So the teacher gene just kind of runs in my family. So, you know, I was a coach. I started coaching, um, you know, the day after I graduated college, which I guess yeah. now would be uh, you know, 2007. So I've been working with people one-on-one -on -one ever since that time. Um, and it's just continued to evolve its expression. So I started very much in working with people on a physiological level, working with them on a mental level, a personal development, personal transformation level. And all the meanwhile, I had a spiritual meditative practice since a very young age. Hmm. And I got very serious into that practice when I was 11 years old. So I had this parallel life of spirituality and meditation that I was very committed to. But I never brought it into any of the coaching or training that I was doing. I never brought it in. I kept those worlds very separate. And it wasn't until I really began diving into sacred sexuality, mm -hmm. spiritual intimacy, that I started to see the bridge between this world of physical transformation, mental transformation, and spirituality and how they actually go very much hand in hand. And it was that body of work that connected the bridge for me. And I immediately fell in love with it, um, began studying and working with world-renowned teachers, and then began integrating these teachings and philosophies into everything that I offer now. It's what I focus on entirely. Wow, that's really uh, interesting to me that you had an interest in meditation at the age of 11. Do you remember like what sparked that? Yeah. When I was about 
between the ages of five and six years old, my uh, grandfather was an interesting guy. And every time I'd go over to his house, he'd be sitting in the corner in a chair with a pad and pen. And I was always so curious what he was doing. And it turns out he was just doing complex math problems. <laughs> just for the sake of it. And, you know, I was a young kid. I didn't really understand all of this. But it was his form of entertainment. He just loved mm. He loved how the mind worked and he loved um, engaging the mind. So at that very young age, he would take me aside and he would say, Justin, close your eyes. Okay, now I'm going to guide you through this practice. And he would have me do different visualization techniques, different forms of meditation and mental development. And it was really from that moment, those moments, that I was introduced to this world inside of my mind, inside of my head. And I was good at it. I could close my eyes and go anywhere. And I think children are better at it than adults. To be honest, there's less barriers, less obstructions in the mind. So they can make radical progress. They can trust their imagination. They can travel more easily. They can bend the difference between this world and the next much more effortlessly, much more fluidly. So not too long after my grandfather had died, and I never really fully understood what he was teaching me or what I was learning. But then a few years later, this is right when uh, I was making the transition from fifth to sixth grade. I guess you're 10, 10, mm. 11 years old. I would go into the basement of my home and turn off all of the lights and just spend hours down there with my eyes closed and just begin exploring. What can I do inside of this space? I would do certain things with my breath, certain things with my hands. I would sit certain ways. I would lay certain ways. I would do certain things with my mind and visualize certain things. And this went on for years and years. And it wasn't until I was about the age of 16 years old. It took this long because I just loved doing it. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just happy to be in the dark for hours by myself. I finally, I had access to the internet. And um, I was like, you know, there's got to be other people on the planet who do this stuff, who know about this. And I just began doing some research and finding some Buddhist meditation practices, some Zen uh, practices, uh, different forms of meditation, uh, different forms of Wicca, witchcraft, things of this nature. I just became very interested to see, do other people know about this? What do they do? And as I started to research it, I found, these individuals were doing the same things that I had been exploring on my own. Very similar techniques to everything I'd already been doing. Mm -hmm. And it was in that moment I realized if anyone is willing to sit in a dark room by themselves and shut their eyes, become still, and just explore what's there, we'll all essentially come to a census on what that experience is or what's possible there. The same way we do with our eyes open, moving our bodies and interacting with the physical. Mm. That, that world is just as indefinable as here. Mm. But we don't know that until we really commit to spending an enormous amount of time there. Was there ever a period when you were considering becoming a monastic and just diving fully into the world of darkness and eyes closedness? You know, I, I've flirted with that idea maybe a handful of times in my life, but I've been pretty clear that I love being in the world and engaging mm -hmm. in the world. And um, that's not my karmic path this time around. And that's why I love the practice of sacred sexuality because mm. it's very much about engaging with the world, engaging with intimacy, with love, the tussle of love, of family, of friends, of engaging in visions, creativity, purpose, all of these things, finding them through the modality of engagement with the mm. world, relationship with the world. And that's why that path spoke so deeply to me. Yeah. 
and I, I guess like, I'll just speak to, to my path. Um, and why I'm finding this interesting is, yeah, I'm, I guess I discovered the world of having my eyes shut when I was 23. And it was, it still is a remarkable world. Like, it's just, there's an infinite amount of depth in there. And I can't get, it's just, for me, I'm, there's just infinite curiosity as to what goes on in there. Uh, but I, I was constantly feeling tension between wanting to pursue exploration of that world full time and how to live in the world. Because I was living in the world and I was in New York and I had a partner and at the same time, I just wanted to be meditating like more and more and more. And I, I couldn't figure out an integration for a while until I guess the thing that really flipped the switch for me is when I went on an intimacy immersion or retreat with a friend of mine who's an intimacy coach. And it just fucking like it knocked my socks off. It just revealed to me with such clarity that there was an equal amount of depth profundity, exploration, anything that I could find in the world of meditation existed in the outer world and in the world of intimacy as well. And so there's this like very stark moment for me where I recognize like, whoa, I can maintain this level of spiritual curiosity and I can be in the world. And it was actually quite a relief for me. It, I was able to like drop this burden of, wow, I don't need to become a monastic. It hasn't felt right. And now I have permission to live the life I've been living. And I'm wondering if there was a moment or teacher for you that brought you into this world of sacred intimacy, sacred sexuality, or whatever framing or phrasing you'd want to put on it? You know, I never would have on my own dove into this path. I did not go seeking it out. It's entirely my woman's fault. <laughs> that become involved with this so from that very first day she has been a teacher to me and continues to be a teacher to me but i would say the primary teachings of a teacher who whose work i've studied for a long time and who i've worked with is um david data mm -hmm. and what david's contributions what he's done is he has codified what it means to embody the masculine and what it means to embody the feminine in a way that no one else has. What do you mean codified there? So if you explore the work of someone like Montauk Chia, he's traveled the Eastern world to work with masters in what he would call sexual Kung Fu to learn what are these ancient Taoist practices around sexuality. And we get polarity mostly from these perspectives. And in a lot of these teachings, we're learning what Mansak would call seminal Kung Fu, Kung Fu or ovarian kung fu for the man for the woman's <laughs> bodies and you're learning different esoteric techniques to sexually engage with one another it's very mechanical um it can be quite dry it's very much about it's almost medical in nature hmm. and that same goes for the tantric buddhists form of kama mudra very hmm. much approached this practice of sexuality from medical perspective, but also spiritual perspective, without a doubt. This it's they go hand in hand. But what David has done is he said, well, there's this whole field of relating of intimacy itself. There's a way of being, the way that you sit, the way that you speak, the way that you engage, the way that you use your body to make love with your partner beyond just penis and vagina. So he began to articulate almost like a poet, like Rumi would, to say, here's the expression of what that ideal masculine archetype would look like. Here's the expression of what that ideal feminine archetype would look like. And here are the skills you would need to embody that, teaching it like a yoga or a martial art, which he does a phenomenal job of. There's no one in the world that does it mm. like he does. So 
studying all of that work over these years has had a huge impact on where I've arrived today. And what I see, the layer that London and I have added to this equation is in our current culture in the Western world, we are seeing Western women embody and assume positions that were traditionally considered masculine. They are playing what I more correctly would call the alpha role. To call those qualities and those attributes masculine moving forward is just archaic because women can do those roles and they can do them equally if not better than men in a lot of situations. They have these capacities as well. They have the ability to lead. They have the ability to be directive. They have the ability to have vision, to have purpose in the world. They're not waiting around for a man to fill that void necessarily. They don't have to. They can earn their own money. And women, under the age of 30, more of them are graduating college across the country. More of them are going to law school. More of them are going to medical school across the country. More of them are starting to make more money than men in this younger group. So as the generations go, we're going to see women continue to fill these roles that were once considered masculine as leaders, people of influence, people of uh, management positions, decision-making positions. So that's why we call this the embodiment of alpha. From the old perspective, you would say, well, that's you and your masculine and we need to get you back in your feminine in order for a relationship to work. That formula works because it's concrete. It's, it's a formula. You do this, you do this, we can make this work. But as we continue to evolve and experience ourselves at having this full spectrum capacity, because men are now also being able to fill in roles that were once considered exclusively feminine. So now as this spectrum opens up, and we break the rules or the boundaries of these dogmas we used to live in in the 1950s of, you know, Stepford wife, man in a suit. Those boundaries are breaking. But the problem is that now we've thrown out the map. So we've freed ourselves from the imprisonment of these dogmatic perspectives of what men and women are supposed to be. And we said, hell no, I can be anything. But in being anything, there's no more rules of engagement. You've thrown out the rules of engagement. And now you have the feminization of the masculine at places like Burning Man, where it feels safe and everyone's resonating with each other. And that's becoming an embodiment or expression of the way men and women are relating, relating from resonance. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But when people start to feel like, why can't I trust this person? Why am I no longer attracted? Why did it feel good then? It doesn't feel good now. Why am I now thinking about or fantasizing about this person instead? There's no map to kind of show you how, right? As women enter the workplace and they're beginning to dominate and being the shot callers and earning more money and being the breadwinners in homes, um, stay-at-home dads, as this trend continues, you're going to say, what happened to that sexual charge I once had with this individual? Now we just feel like business partners or we feel like roommates. But I know that I am not sexually attracted and I'm going to go on to Tinder or Instagram or flip through and swipe through to find something or someone else that I can sexually engage with. And you and I can remain business partners or that's the trend. And that's why relationships are lasting as long as a swipe. <laughs> that's as long as our attention spans are. And that's what happens when we don't have the map to understand how to actually create polarity. In our book, The Awakened Woman's Guide to Everlasting Love, we go into detail on what, this, what these new rules of relationship are, the new rules of engagement. So London and I said, her, her and I both live beyond dogma. So I have a lot of traditionally what's called feminine in me. I'm very mm -hmm. creative. I'm very artistic. I'm very flowy. She 
is very alpha, very traditionally masculine in a lot of ways. She's won an Emmy. She's been top sales rep for multiple companies, international companies. So she's just a kick-ass alpha in the world. How do those two people now who have kind of these full-spectrum capacities, I could be in alpha or omega, she could be in alpha or omega, how do we preserve polarity without things getting watery? This is what we talk about in the book, and we give very practical strategies to implement that. Yeah, first I'll just give a, a shout out to this book. It's an awesome book. I can personally attest. And, okay, what you were saying um, conjured up a lot of thoughts that are unformulated, but I'm going to spit out some garble, and hopefully something will make sense or a question will emerge in here. First of all, I'm like, I'm really appreciating just personally the framework that you and London are bringing with the terminology. To me, that's, that's really important. I was just reading a couple months ago, David Data's book, Way of the Superior Man, which is a truly phenomenal book. And I was just finding in using the words masculine and feminine, it, to, there, to me, it feels inherently problematic because people will say like, yeah, women can be masculine or feminine. Men can be masculine or feminine. They're just energies, which I think is true. But masculine also means man-like and feminine means woman-like. And for me, it was I was just reading that book and getting like shredded internally by a lack of permission for my own feminine energy. So for one, I'm, I appreciate the Alpha Omega framework, and I guess what I'm hearing is there's these energies in the universe that have expressed themselves historically through humans as men occupying Alpha and women occupying Omega, but now we're in this interesting cultural place where we're revealing to ourselves that humans are capable of so much. Humans are so flexible and pliable and as far as nature versus nurture, we can be nurtured in so many directions and it's hard to tell what is fixed and what is stable. And so in that, no matter what sex a person is born with, they have capacity for alpha energy and for omega energy and probably will are able to exhibit a lot of both. And then when two people come together and one person is and then there, it's like um, puzzle pieces or something like that, that like an alpha, my alpha matches their omega and their alpha matches my omega or something like that. And there's this dance between those. And then that dance creates polarity and, and sparks. Yeah, I guess it's interesting that historically in the 50s or maybe before also that there was probably polarity built into culture but in a way that was repressive of men's omega nature and women's alpha nature. And, okay, I guess something I'm wondering is, it's I just find it interesting that the words sacred masculine and sacred feminine are so common. They're like everywhere. Like lots of traditions, or at least like lots of teachers and people I talk to seem to point to these words. And I'm wondering if there is something inherent in men that connects or in male identified people of male sex that connects them with masculine or alpha energy and people of female sex that connects them with omega energy. I'm just wondering if there's something in there or if, if that question is not even important or relevant. Could you clarify your question? The direct way of putting that is why the terminology sacred masculine and sacred feminine exist at all is there something inherent in men that is connected to alpha energy more than women and is there something inherent in women that's connected to omega energy more than men well let me start by saying this if we go back to my piano example that you whether you're a man or a woman you're sitting down in front of a piano and you have notes that you can choose to play from alpha to omega now if you were to play a note and attempt to sing that note if you're in a man body you might have an easier time singing those lower notes because of your physiology because of your biology but that doesn't mean a woman can't sing those notes too and it doesn't mean a woman couldn't sing those notes better than you <laughs> right, right. So in the same regard, on those high notes, 
a woman's body might be able, might be designed to hit those high omega notes easier than a man's body, but it doesn't mean that a man can't hit those notes. So that's the landscape. That's more of a realistic picture of what we're talking about. Got it. Now, the words sacred feminine and sacred masculine to me are dangerous, very dangerous, because now you're putting this layer over reality to say this is sacred, this is not. Who's, who's the judge of that? What what of this is not sacred is not divine. Yeah. What <laughs> when when you begin to decide that this is divine and this is not, your view of reality becomes quite imbalanced and impure, and inherently you already misunderstand the teaching, the core teaching. So now you're just playing a game of trying to get your needs met by being some ideal version of self, which there's nothing wrong with that, or by having an expectation of others and what they need to be in order to meet you. You're in your toxic masculine, you're in your toxic feminine, you're not in your masculine, you're, you're, you're too feminine right now. I've heard over the last decade these teachings weaponized to fulfill individual selfish dogmas and personal needs and desires around relationship. And it becomes a shame game. It becomes a blame game. It becomes a very distorted interpretation of what this work is really trying to teach you. This work is trying to teach you that polarity is an illusion. Everything is divine. Everything is sacred. And your inability to stand in the presence of someone or something and not feel love is your own closure to reality itself. So if you're not getting that from the work, then you're just using it as a, a vehicle for personal growth, which I said, there's nothing wrong with, but that is not the spiritual path. That is not a spiritual teaching. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. I got one more alpha omega question that's coming up. And then a couple of random things I'm wondering. The Alpha Omega question is, I notice that in myself that if I'm in a space with someone or in general where my alpha energy is low, it doesn't necessarily mean my omega is high, or at least that's not what it feels like. Sometimes I'll be in like high omega and my alpha is turned down, but sometimes it just feels like my alpha is shredded. And I guess a way I'd put this is if I'm stuck in indecision. It doesn't feel like I'm being expressive or like embodying light or radiance. It just feels like I'm embodying like negative alpha and it's just crushing up my sense of groundedness and like can't decide and like, ugh. and I'm wondering, um, I don't know, just I'm curious how that fits in of just if there's such a thing as negative alpha, or, or that's just my terminology or negative omega. That's a beautiful question. Is there something as a neg negative C chord? <laughs> so let me put it this way. The way that masculine and feminine has been used is toxic feminine, toxic masculine gets thrown out a lot. You're in your feminine, you're in your masculine. That's the distorted masculine. This is the divine or sacred masculine, that whole game. Alpha and Omega liberate us from that because when you're, Stepping into or playing your alpha or your omega notes, it's a conscious act. Mm. You're consciously embodying something to serve the moment, to serve you, to serve your life, to serve your relationship. It's just as conscious as if you were to sit down in front of the piano and start playing keys. You're choosing to engage in a series of notes to create an impact or an effect on life, mm. whether that's it an impact on yourself or an impact on others. This is not accidental. So alpha and omega are only words used when you're consciously expressing that quality through your body mind. If you're closed, if you're neurotic, if you're da, 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 you're not playing the piano, you're just wigging out, but you can still be human. You can still be all of these things, but just because you know, as you said, your masculine's not engaged. That means your feminine's going to be engaged. No, that's a misunderstanding. 
that is a horrific misunderstanding. And that's where you get the word when a man is collapsed, he's in his feminine. I mean, which is the most heinous fucking thing anyone could say is that a man who's sensitive, a man who's in a moment of indecisiveness, a man who has collapsed and hit his edge is in his feminine. What a horrific abuse and misunderstanding of the teachings. It doesn't get worse than this. So the difference here is that alpha and omega are only when you are sitting down at the piano and choosing to play a specific note such that your consciousness or your love is expressed through your body mind in such a way to serve hmm. their conscious cultivations of expression. That was beautifully articulated. I've got a couple just random questions I'm curious about that have popped up over this conversation. One is, so you're living this um, human plot of Justin Patrick Pierce, who some know as JPP. And there's this this narrative that's playing out and there's a plot and a storyline and at some point the story's going to end and the narrative of Justin will end when you die. And I'm curious and and that could be who knows it could be tomorrow it could be when you're 200 years old whatever. But I'm curious if you got to choose how your narrative ended and when uh what would you choose? You know when I was very young I became very interested in lucid dreaming, obsessed. Mm. It became part of my practice. And this was probably around the age of uh, 15, 16. became very highly engaged in this particular practice. And some people are very good at it naturally, and I'm not. Uh, I have terrible dream recall, and it takes me a lot of work to be able to recall my dreams and become lucid and begin then consciously engaging in the dream world. So I spent months journaling to the point where I'd be able to remember seven or eight dreams a night. And I would write every one of them down every morning to continue to exercise and strengthen my memory recall. And it was after several months that I started to be able to have lucid moments in these dreams. And a short time after that, I became fully lucid in my dream state. And I had woken up and I said, holy shit, I know I'm dreaming and I can do anything that I want. I can choose anything that I want. And I remember this dream so vividly as I sat there, I pulled up a screen and scrolled through tens of thousands of different scenarios and options that I could have chosen right in that moment to engage in in my dream. And as I sat there in my dream state, looking at all of these different options, after looking at tens, thousands of choices, I got a feeling and I said, wow, none of these feel as interesting as me not choosing and just surrendering back into the dream and allowing the dream to choose for me. Huh. None of these feel mm. as interesting. So, after all of that work, arriving at that <laughs> moment, the moment presented itself to me and I said, now that it's here, that doesn't sound interesting at all. And I, in the dream, surrendered lucid, lucidity and I just allowed the dream to take over once again. That is a metaphor for the way that I live my entire life. That mm -hmm. has not changed since that moment. So when you ask me that question, the most ideal scenario is that I don't choose. I continue to not know and just allow this mystery to be revealed moment to moment and just witness. That was fun. That was fun. That was fun to hear. One other thing I was wondering that cropped up is, um, at least in whether in your personal experience or just in your viewpoint, is there a place or for kink bdsm and uh, sexual fantasy in the world of sacred uh sexuality yes absolutely there's room for everything in sacred sexuality 
because sacred sexuality is teaching you the foundation of how you relate to someone before you even begin physically engaging with them. Hmm. It's the foundation that every sexual experience ideally rests upon. So once you learn how to connect with someone soul to soul, you can bring in any flavor of sexual expression you want. And working with dark energy is certainly a huge part of it because mm. there's a lot of energy in, in the dark. Um, and most people are kinked up mostly around there. So the most kind of transformation that happens to the work is in consciously allowing these dark expressions to move through you and allowing them to come through as an expression of love. That's when huge paradigm shifts happen. The, things about you that you don't think are lovable, the desires that you have that you think are too heinous to be expressed. If you first build the love consciousness that sacred intimacy creates, and then you engage in any of those activities, not only does it become art, it also becomes some of the most ecstatic experiences you can ever have. It also begins to liberate you around mm. certain things and things that you once craved forever, suddenly you experience in a very deep, intimate moment, very conscious moment. And mm. suddenly that craving is no longer with you. It's like you've tasted that flavor and that's out of your system, out of your space. That's part of the healing that can happen inside of sacred intimacy as well. Dude, amazing. We're running into time, and I'm curious for anybody listening, where can people find you or your work? And uh, are there any specific reasons people might want to look you up to work with you? The best way to find me is on the Yoga of Intimacy Facebook page. I'm always posting videos and content conversations and our upcoming workshops. Um, we have another weekend intensive in March, March 30th to 31st in 2019. And we do four of those a year in Topanga, California. That's an opportunity where we have equal numbers, men and women come together in a group and we practice everything that I've been describing in a very practical way um, for a full weekend. So you really get a hands-on experience of the things that I've been describing and you learn the tools and skills to then bring them into your life. You're getting live feedback, working with the opposite sex. There's no physical sex that takes place in these workshops. And because of the nature of the work, it can be very transformative, very intense, very illuminating. Um, so that's all available for you. And the best way to find me and everything that I'm offering through a website is wearesacred.org wearesacred.org that'll have all of my upcoming events audios and videos and many other great things to come cool justin dude thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and um and just explain things i feel this conversation has opened up a lot of spaces of permission in my exploration of sex and gender so i want to thank you for that I wish you the best of luck in your upcoming childbirth. This might be a weird thing to say, but I'm just incredibly curious to see you're in London's kid in like 20 years, because I'm sure they'll be super cool. <laughs> uh, so I'm looking forward to that too. Yeah, I really believe we can only have so much of an influence or a say mm. who comes into this world. You know, I, uh, I come from a family of five and we had incredible parents and me and my other siblings, we have similarities, but man, there's aspects of us that couldn't be f more different, you know, and that's just something that isn't entirely environment controlled. We really do come in here with our own mm. agendas as well. So it's just going to be a beautiful mix to see, um, <laughs> where everything lands from there yes absolutely cool all right justin thanks again man hey friends thank you for tuning in i hope you got something out of this episode i know that i sure had a blast with it if you enjoy this podcast please head over to itunes and give it a five-star rating 
I'm offering an exchange right now where if it feels in alignment for you to give this podcast five stars, then send me a message on Facebook, let me know you did it, and then I'll sit down, take some time to grok your profile, and I will write you a thoughtful and sincere compliment. Truly, please take me up on it. And if this episode touched on something you think a friend might find titillating, pass it on to them too. And I just want to say, I bring my utmost sincerity to each of these conversations, and I really do want to spread vibes and information that cause people to reflect and deepen and just live a more honest, kind, and vivacious life. Because I really believe that the state of the world needs everything that we can give it. It needs people to be at full capacity. It needs people to be living their life fully and giving their greatest positive impact to humanity. And so if I can just flick over one domino with this podcast that flicks over a couple more that lead people into living their life fully and giving back to the earth, then by Jove, man, I will be a happy dude. So trying to do my part here and any help, love, and support, I would just so greatly appreciate. And at the very least, I am super appreciated that you listened to this episode and much love, folks. I'll see you next time.